appreciate that. If you would, take your Bibles, turn back to the book of James. trying to come up with some good deer hunting jokes, but uh, all you have to do is just listen to some of these stories, and um, you'll get a, you'll get a, <laughs> I could tell you a few things about Don Williams, but he may be listening in on the internet, and even if he isn't, it'll get back to him, so, James chapter number one, I'd like for us to, uh, I'm going to read verse 5, and then when we get to verse 6 and 7, I'd like for us to read that together in unison, if you would. So be prepared there. James chapter 1, I'll read verse 5. When we get to 6, you join me. We'll read together verse 6 and 7, and I'll finish out with verse number 8. And so, ready? If, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. All right, what's the subject? If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He's, he's talking about what? Prayer. Prayer. Asking of God. So keep that in mind. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But, let's read it together, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Then verse number 8, he makes a summary statement. He kind of summarizes. For a, for a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I memorized the first chapter of James years ago, shortly after I got saved. And I often, if I'm driving or sometimes laying in bed at night, I'll just re-quote this thing through, just try and keep it fresh in my mind. Earlier this week, towards the beginning of the week, I was going over this verse in my mind. And uh, that one phrase in verse number 6 just seemed to stand out. And the Lord just uh, stirred my heart. And it says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Nothing wavering. So that's the title of the message, Nothing Wavering. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father in heaven, I thank you for the word of God and, Lord, what it means to so many of us. Lord, I believe I speak for many, many folks here this morning who want to say, Lord, this is the most precious possession we have, the Bible, your word. God, we ask now that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that our knowledge of your word and our relationship with your word would not just be a mental exercise. Lord, I pray it would be a precious thing in our hearts. Challenge us. Help us to be a people who do not waver. Help us, Lord, to be strong in our convictions, our faith. Lord, help us to see you do great things in our lives. I yield myself to you anew this morning, Father. I present to you anew my body. I ask that you would fill me with your spirit, dear Lord, and that you would speak through me. I pray, Lord, there be folks this morning that settle some things in their lives. Pray there be some folks this morning that, become, that determine to be single-minded and not double-minded. Have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. James is one of the most practical books. It's often been referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. The books that were penned by Paul, of course, we understand that uh, the Bible is inspired by God. Amen? 
That's our position. Uh, you all seem a little sluggish this morning here. Everybody awake? Are you glad you came to church? Amen? Everybody all right? Everybody out there? I'm looking around. All right. There's signs of life. Praise the Lord. We believe, Mountain Lake Independent Baptist Church, the very first statement in our doctrinal statement is this. We believe, and I'm putting my own words here, but we believe that the Bible is God's Word, given by inspiration by God. It's correct without error, and every in the Old and New Testament, it's inspired. We believe, we added this when I became pastor here, is the first thing we did in our first business meeting in January. We altered our doctrinal statement, which is something you do not want to do very often, but we, uh, I shouldn't say we altered it, we added to it, we put this. And I know this church believed this before I came, and I've believed this strongly, still do, is God has preserved His Word in the King James Bible. We think we have scriptural support for that, for the English-speaking people. So when I say that the books penned by Paul, I'm not suggesting that Paul was the immediate author of them. God is the author of Scripture. But God inspired the writings of Paul. And when we read the books that God used Paul to re- record, we find that they're more doctrinal. If you've been coming out on Sunday nights as we've been studying the book of Ephesians, and by the way, I think everybody ought to come out to church on Sunday night. We've been studying the book of Ephesians, and it's been a great blessing. But one thing we learned was this, and we have in other studies. Paul tends to be very, very doctrinal. In his teaching, Paul will give a doctrinal statement and then he'll give the Christian application, how that affects your life. A doctrinal statement, then how that affects your life. A doctrinal statement, how that affects your life. And uh, that's a good thing. Everything we do in our Christian life should be based on Bible teaching. Amen? Especially in the church life. It ought to have a biblical basis for everything we do. And we try to do that. Brother Mike and I were up at the nursing home last night. Brother Mike did a great job. We tried to get Ron Coddington to sing a special, but he would not do it. But um, uh, we had a great job. And a lady came up to us, and she'd been gotten saved. She told me about a month ago and gave a pretty clear testimony of salvation. She told me this what this church, church she was in was teaching. She had some questions about uh, what her church was teaching. And I knew immediately what the denomination was as soon as she made a few statements. And uh, she was telling me things. She says, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this. And I finally said to her, I said, listen, you got saved. You've been studying your Bible. You're learning the Bible. And you are starting to see discrepancies between what your church teaches and what the Bible teaches. And she said, you're exactly right. And the more she studied the Bible, the more she was realizing what her church was teaching didn't mesh with the Bible. You see, everything we do, every area of our Christian life should be based on Bible teaching. Every aspect of the church, every part of our ministries, all of it should be based on Bible teaching. Now, Paul was that way. Paul's writings was that way. He would be very doctrinal, then he'd make Christian application. I said all that to say this, James isn't like that at all. James, he, does, he doesn't deal with the doctrinal issues behind what you're doing. He just says, hey, if you're a Christian, you ought to do this. If you're a Christian, you ought to do this. If you're a Christian, you ought not to do that. If you're a Christian, hey, you say you have faith, let's see some works to show it. And that's where people get mixed up. 
And they'll read into the doctrinal, especially in James chapter 2, they'll read into the doctrinal teaching that we're saved by faith, by grace through faith, where James is talking about works and saying, oh, you've got to be saved by works. That's not it at all. James is simply saying, he's not dealing with the doctrinal teaching of faith. He's just simply saying, hey, you claim to be a Christian, you ought to live like it. And so I like the book of James. He's very practical. He just deals with issues where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And rather than deal with the theological issues behind the Christian living, he just says, you need to live like a Christian. You need to talk like a Christian. You need to act like a Christian. You get to the first eight verses here. I tell you, there's just so much here. If you notice in verses 2 and 3, James is teaching how Christians are to respond to trials. Look at verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Well, that's not easy. He doesn't need to deal with the theological issues why you should. He just says, hey, do that. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. So he tells us how a Christian is to respond to trials. We're to count it joy. We're to be, allow it to develop patience in our life. Then you get to verse number 4, and he deals with Christian maturity. Look what he says. Knowing this, the trying your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, I think most of us understand this, but just in case, so no one misunderstands. When he says, uh, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, James is not suggesting that any one of us, not you nor I, can be perfect in the sense of sinlessly perfect. Amen? You understand that? Keep this in mind. Here's some good Bible teaching. This will help you in your study of the Bible. Keep in mind, when God deals with man being perfect, when God uses that terminology, He is talking about being complete. Uh, When He talks about us being perfect, He's talking about you and I living the Christian life at our full potential. Completely living it. Fulfilling it completely. Being mature. So He says, patience, if we allow it to have its perfect work, It will mature us. It will perfect us. We will be entire. We will be complete in our Christian life. So, he deals with how a Christian is to respond to trials. He deals with how a Christian maturity. Then in verse number 5, we notice, he deals with how a Christian gets wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, anybody there in that category? Brother, join the crowd. If any of you lack wisdom, boy, what do I do? Uh, I don't know what to do here. I need wisdom in this situation. I don't know what's the best course of action to take. I don't know what's the best way to deal with this. What do I do? I lack wisdom. James says, let him what? Ask of God. The way a Christian gets wisdom is by prayer. Let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Now, do you got your Bibles with you? You got your Bible? I hope you bring your Bible to church. I hope you brought it planning to use it. Take your Bible with you, if you would, and turn to Proverbs. Keep your place here in James. Turn quickly back to Proverbs. I have a sneaking suspicion I'm talking to some folks who need some wisdom. And I'm tempted to say a number of things right there, but I'll not do it. Look at Proverbs chapter 2. If any of you lack wisdom... 
Let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. How many people believe that verse? Believe that's true? Boy, that was pretty weak. How many people believe that verse there? Amen. That's true. So if we lack wisdom, we should what? What should we do? Ask of God. Why? He giveth to all men liberally. And upbraid, that word upbraid means to hold back. He doesn't hold back. So if that verse is true, God can and will give us wisdom if we ask for it, right? It's not presumptuous. Look at, verse, look at Proverbs chapter 2. Notice with me verse 3. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge. When he says, if you cry after it, what's he talking about? Praying. Same thing as verse 5, James 1. If thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. The Bible says that God can give, God will give us wisdom. If we seek for it, if we ask him for it, if we cry out to him for it, God will give us wisdom. So James chapter 1 verse 5, the Bible tells us very clearly that if we lack wisdom in any situation, we can pray to God and God will give it to us. That's good news, folks. If I was sitting in a pew and the preacher said what I just said, I would say, Amen. Because God will give us wisdom. That means for a young person that's uh, fixing the next, suppose you got a 16, 17-year-old, in the next 10 or 15 years, they're going to get thinking about getting married. Um, that was a joke there, but anyway. Uh, a young person planning on getting married, I'd say that would require a little bit of wisdom. Amen? Amen. To marry the right person. To marry the right person takes wisdom. And so, God says He'll give it to us. Uh, A a couple gets married, they start having children. Hey, it takes wisdom to raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Amen? Tell you, I get out there working the folks, I see a lot of foolishness going on in raising children. Amen? Takes wisdom. So, young couple says, Hey, God, we need you to help us. We want to raise our children up in the fear of that. God, we need wisdom. Help us. God says He'll give it to us. And so, uh, He tells us here how the Christian gets wisdom. Then notice verse number 6 and 7. He says, But, talking about asking God for wisdom, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Verse number 6, he's not dealing with what to ask for. That's verse number 5. In verse number 6, he's telling us how to ask for it. He's telling us how to pray. And if you have a pen, I, I, have, so many, I have all these verses underscore my Bible, but I would highlight in some way, circle, underline, highlight in some way, that phrase, nothing wavering. Nothing wavering. I tell you, if there's one if there's one weakness, if there's one fault line in so many Christian lives, it's this matter of wavering. This matter of wavering. Now here's my thought. Uh, Two thoughts in verses 6, 7, and 8. First of all, we must be unwavering in our prayer life. Verse 6, he's not talking about what to ask God for. We all can come up with that. That's not a problem knowing what to ask for. He's telling us how. 
If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and braideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Let's be very honest. We, got, we don't have the biggest crowd we've ever had here this morning. Let's be real honest with the Lord, with ourselves, and with one another. How many folks here, in one way or another, to some aspect, you have a need in your life? How many people would give witness to that? Sure we do. Sure we do. We have needs in our lives. We come to God in prayer. All right, how do I do that? How do I pray? The Bible says, very important, there must be nothing wavering in my prayer life. It's not talking about what to ask for. We all know what that is. We have those needs. It's how. Two reasons there is no power in our prayers. And let's be real honest. You read the book of Acts. It's very rare to find a church in the year 2007 that has the power upon it that the church in the book of Acts has. Right or wrong? Now, why do we not have that power? Why do we not have the power of God upon us in response to our prayers? I think there's two reasons. One is, we don't pray. I don't believe we pray as much as we talk about praying. Come on now. I really don't think we do. We talk about it, we sing about it, we preach about it, we buy books about it. But how many of us really pray? I mean, get a hold of God in prayer. I think one reason prayers go unanswered is simply because prayers go unprayed. We don't, how many folks here ever said this to somebody? Now, we're being honest this morning, right? How many of you ever said this to somebody? Somebody said, boy, you know, this, such and such is sick, or so and so is having this, and you say, boy, I'll pray, well, I'll pray for, we'll be praying for you. How many people ever said that? How many people ever said that and then went off and never took time to pray for that? Come on now, be honest. We'll be praying for you. Most of the time, we're not honest. Now, what I recommend and what I try to do is if, if we say that, listen, I'll be praying for you, is some point within the next few seconds, if nothing else, just in my heart, oh Lord, please help that situation. Oh God, please bless that one. Lord, please meet that need. You can pray in your heart and your mind immediately right there and just lift it up to the Lord. I've tried doing this, and I don't as often as I would like to, but I've tried to. If somebody says, boy, i got this need, it's a good thing. Hey, let's pray right now. Let's just pray. Lord, please help this one. And uh, it's a good way to deal with it. I think one of the biggest problems in our prayer life is lack of prayer. Lack of prayer. But I think there's a second problem. Why we don't see God answer prayers. I mean miraculous, in great ways. I think the second problem is, first of all, is that we don't pray. Second of all, because we waver. We waver. Now, I want to explain what I mean by that, when we waver. Uh, God plainly says, look at verse 6 again. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. And he explains, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea. Driven with the wind and tossed. Now look at verse 7. He tells us why we should not waver. We should ask in faith. For let not that man think that he shall receive what? Anything from the Lord. God says that if we waver in our prayer life, that we will not receive anything from the Lord. Now, that's a strong statement. God plainly states, if we waver in our faith, we get nothing from God. Nothing. In fact, he says, don't even think that you're going to receive anything from the Lord if you waver in your faith. When you pray, 
Verse 5, asking for wisdom. Verse 6, not limited to asking for wisdom. Just asking for anything. When you pray, it better be in faith. Nothing wavering. And he says, for he that wavers like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind of toss, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. Now here's our problem in America. God has blessed us, and we are so prosperous, we can get by without having our prayers answered. we still got enough food in the house to last us a few days. Huh? Right or wrong? We are so blessed, we are so prosperous, that we don't even think we need God. We have this false security. We have this false mentality. Oh, we would never say it, but our practice, and in practice, it comes out that way. But brother, you let, you let America fall, and, that could, and by the way, that could happen awfully quick. And we, God removes His hand of blessing off this country, and brother, we're going to have to find praying ground awfully quick. Amen? Israel, we're talking about that in Hosea and other places. So, Nothing wavering. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. By the way, it's not always bad for young people to fall on hard times. We have this idea, well, I want my kids to have it better than I did. You know, we've got it so good. Good grief. The fact of the matter is, it's not hard, it's not bad for a child to go through some tight uh, financial things and some fight things and learn that God can take care of them. God can meet their needs. Somebody help me out here. Amen. It's not bad for them to have to scratch and scrape a little bit and try and get by and let them see that God answers prayer. That's why I'm so excited about young people getting off in Bible college. And, you know, don't have a rich person just covering everything for them, a rich mom and dad just covering everything. You know what? They're getting more than just book learning. They're learning that there's a God in heaven that can and will answer prayer if they trust Him. That's a good lesson to learn early in life. And so, nothing wavering. Now, here's the question. What does it mean to waver? Let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. What does that phrase waver there? Very simple. It means to go back and forth to go back and forth between faith and doubt. In fact, you notice there he says, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. And he basically defines what he means by the word wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Anybody here? How many folks here ever went out deep sea fishing? Anybody here ever been out on the ocean deep sea? Man, I love it. I love to get out there. I don't love it when it's real high waves. But brother, you get out there, man, that, those waves can toss that boat around over here, then it's over there, you're up and then you're down. Several years ago, our family took vacation. Uh, brother Chris War, one of our missionaries, his mom had a cottage down on the Chesapeake Bay. And uh, we took vacation for a couple weeks, went down there and uh, stayed in Chris's mom's cottage. And uh, I'd really never been out on the bay much before. To me, a bay is just, you know, it's like a little inlet on Deep Creek Lake. It's not that big a deal. And so I took the canoe down. I thought it would be a great idea. I can take the canoe out on the bay and go fishing. And so I took the canoe down there and had my little trolling motor, you know, and I'm going out on the bay. And, uh, man, I didn't think much of it. I was up and down, up and down over here. My wife or somebody was on the, the little dock there, the pier, and they're, they're standing there and they're watching this little canoe <laughs> going on out in the ocean out in the bay, and uh, the guy said, I don't, was it you, Kathy? I forget who it was. Somebody was standing there. It might have been Chris. And the guy said, uh, who's that idiot out there on a canoe? <laughs> I think it was Chris. 
And Chris said, I don't know who that guy is. It's some moron. <laughs> but that's the idea of the word waver. Nothing wavering. It's doubting, then believing. Over here, then over there. Uh, trusting, then not trusting. When it comes to prayer, now real, supernatural... Hey, there's a world of difference between saying prayers and actually praying. It's a world of difference between going through the motions. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. God bless mommy, daddy, brother, sister, mommy, uncle, grandpa. That's saying a prayer. That's a world of difference between that and saying, Oh God, I need you. Oh God, you've got to help me. God, this is, I need wisdom. Lord, I need... See the difference? If we're going to pray... If we're going to get a hold of God, I, I can't help but believe I'm talking to somebody that desperately needs God in their do something in their life right now. If we're going to get a hold of God and really see God answer prayer clearly and supernaturally, then we have to settle this matter of not wavering. There are some things we have got to get clear in our heart and mind and plant our feet on them on solid ground, establish them like a rock and say, this is true and I am basing my confidence in God's ability to answer my prayers on these truths and I will not waver. Now let me give you a few of those things that we must not waver about. Number one, in our prayer life. Number one, God loves us and wants what's best for us. You have got to believe that. It doesn't matter how dark your situation may be. It doesn't matter how broken your heart may be. It doesn't matter how hopeless it looks like this situation may be. You must establish one thing in your heart and life and you must not waver on that. And that is this. God loves you and He wants what's best for your life. That must be something we do not waver on. Listen, if we start doubting God's love for us, then we are calling God a liar. He has said over and over and over in His Word, I love you. I love you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Would you please? Romans chapter 5. And look at verse number 8. If this verse is not underlined in your Bible, brother, it should be. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. If we're going to get a hold of God, if we're going to see God do some great things, I must be certain in my heart and mind, I must not waver, the fact that God loves me and He wants what's best for me. Look at Romans 5.8. But God commendeth His what? Love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, you say, Brother Leatherman, I've sinned too badly, there's no hope, my life is, I've made such a mess out of my life, I don't see there's any hope, there's no way God could love someone like me. I'm here to tell you, God loves the worst of mankind. Listen, don't you ever tell your child, don't you ever tell any child or anybody, you better be good or Jesus won't love you. That is a lie of the devil. While we were yet sinners, Christ died, loved us. God commended His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Listen, Jesus loved us so much that He took your sin and my sin, the worst of them, the most embarrassing of our sins, the things that we are the most ashamed of in our lives. Jesus took them upon Himself. He accepted responsibility for your sin and my sin, took it upon Himself and said, God, I will pay the price of their sin. I love them. We come before God with a broken heart. We come before God with overwhelming needs. We must be sure of one thing. That God in heaven loves me. Turn with me in your Bibles. You're not far in Romans here. Turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Brother, I never get tired of Romans 8, 28. I had a person tell me one time, this is a number of years ago, Romans 8.28, Romans 8.28. Every time something goes wrong, all I ever hear from you is Romans 8.28. I said, brother, I didn't write it. Amen? But God... Wait a minute, that's not Romans 8.28. And we know that how many things? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. All things. How many things? What does that include? Everything that comes into my life. Listen, everything that comes into my life, God allowed it because He knows if I will love Him and do what He says, He can and will work that out for good. If there is anything that could not be worked out for good, if there is anything in this world that God could not bring some good out of it, He would not allow it into my life. I can be certain of that. But if it is allowed to come into my life, if I am, God allows me to experience it, then God says, you love me, you trust me, I'll work it out for good. Now, if it doesn't work out for good then maybe we didn't love the Lord and trust Him like we should. But God says, I can work it out for good. He doesn't say, I'll work it out the way you want it to end up. He says, but I'll work it out for good. And so whatever God allows into my life, I can be confident. I must not waver. This is something that God is allowing that can work out for good. I've got to love Him, trust Him, and just let Him take care of it. Let Him work that thing out. All things work together. We must not waver on this fact. He that wavereth, it's like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he'll receive anything of the Lord. We need to settle this matter. God loves me, and He, will, and he, will, and he will, only allows what is best for me. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, same chapter there. Come back to verse 12. Not 12, verse 32. Romans 8, 32. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Actually, pretty much any verse I happen to be reading at that time is my favorite verse. But notice this. This is a great verse. This ought to be underlined. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. What's he talking about there? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, right? God did not spare his own son. Would you agree with me we can safely say that when God gave Jesus Christ for you and I, God gave the best He had? I mean, if He didn't withhold His Son from us, look at the rest of the verse. 
He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us what? All things. God in heaven loves you and I, and He wants what's best for you and I. We must believe that. And when I get on my knees and my heart is so broken and I am so scared, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how this thing's going to turn out. God, I don't know what to do. And I come on my knees before God in prayer. There must be one thing I have settled in my heart and mind. There must be one thing that I do not waver about. It is this. God in heaven loves me and He wants what's best for me. If I don't have that settled in my heart and mind, I might as well forget getting anything from God if I waver on that. It's one thing I need to be certain of. If there's one thing true in this world, it's this. God loved us and gave His Son for us, and He wants what's best for us. So in our personal prayer life, we must not waver on this matter that God loves us and wants what's best for us. This must be settled in our hearts. Second thing we need to have settled in our hearts, or we're not going to get anything from God in our prayers, it's this. God responds to prayer. God responds to prayer. I'm afraid a lot of times we ask God for things that we really don't want. We just know that's what you're supposed to pray and we'll say things. For instance, we'll say, uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what we're praying for? Complete 100 total obedience to God. Because God's will in heaven is done completely, 100% totally. So stop and think about it. Say, I pray, Lord, I want your will to be done on earth even as in heaven. Wait a minute. That means I am going to completely, totally obey everything God says for me. I wonder how many people that's really what they want. We ask God, Lord, make me holy. And then we go out and tell some dirty jokes and go and do all that. Uh, We ask God for things that I'm not sure that we really want. We pray, Lord, let your will be done, and then we go and do our own will. Say, Lord, I want to be holy, make me holy, but then uh, we go hold on to our pet sin. And the fact of the matter is genuine, sincere prayer. When we get to the place we say, God, this is what I want, I sincerely, this is, and it's in accord with God's word, we say, Lord, I'm asking you to do this. We must be sure that God in heaven responds to prayer. Take your Bibles. Again, we're jumping around here. Go to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Real quickly with me, would you? Jeremiah, as soon as I get you a page number, I'll give it to you. Chapter 29. Jeremiah 29. Verse 13. Boy, another underline in verse here. Jeremiah 29, verse number 13. And ye shall seek me, and what? Find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. When we get to the point in our prayer life and we say, God... I want your will to be done more than anything else. God, I want victory in this area. God, I want you to be glorified in this situation more than anything else. Brother, God will respond. We must believe, we must have said on our hearts and minds that God responds to prayer. God responds. Not necessarily the way we want, but God will respond. We put it this way. I was talking with one of my boys uh, a number of, maybe a year or so ago. Uh, We were talking and... uh, made the statement, he said, God answers prayer. 
right? God answers prayer. But to answer doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as grant. I mean, answer, to answer simply means to respond to, to acknowledge and, and uh, respond to it. And so when I pray and ask God for something, God, if I'm sincere in that prayer with all my heart, I'm praying, God responds to it. He answers me. Now, He might not always give the answer I want, but He always answers. And that truth takes me back to rule number one. You've heard the, you heard the statement, there's two rules in this place of business. Number one, the boss is already right. Number two, if the boss isn't right, refer back to rule number one. So, we have thing, uh, truth number two that we must be not wavering in, and that's this, God responds to prayer. God does answer prayer. But based on the first truth, God loves me and always wants what's best for me. And so His answer may not necessarily be what I'm asking for, but it will always be an answer in response to God's love and desire for what's best for me. Are you following me? Are, are, is, are you still glad you came to church? Amen? Hey, this beats deer hunting. Amen? So, I pray, I ask God for something, I am absolutely confident God will respond. I know that, I am absolutely certain of that. God may not give me exactly what I'm asking for, but God will give and do what He knows is best, because He loves me. How many people here ever ask God for something? God did not give you what you asked for, and later on you look back and you said... Praise the Lord, He didn't give me what I asked for. Anybody here? Can I get a witness? Thank God for it. God, I wish you'd kill that guy. Huh? We ask God for things, and really, in our finite mind, we think, this is absolutely, I have to have this. This has to be this way. And then later on, God says, no, no, no. You don't have to have that. It doesn't have to be this way. In fact, it would be bad if you had that and it was this way. So I'm responding to your prayer. I'm answering your prayer. But I'm doing it in a way that I know is best for you. And later on, we look back and say, praise the Lord, God doesn't do everything I tell Him to do. Amen. I'll be honest with you. I think we're going to get to heaven. We're going to get to the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to see a lot of stuff God did differently than we thought He would. And we were all frustrated with it. And then we look back from heaven's perspective and we say, praise God, He didn't give me everything I wanted. Amen? So, some things we must not waver on. I, I like Psalms 65 verse 2. We, we won't turn there. 65 verse 2. But David was so sure that God answers prayer, he referred to God this way. O thou that hearest prayer. It was the title David gave to God. God is such a prayer answering God. He was so certain. He was so unwavering in David's confidence that God would hear his prayer and respond to it. He gave God the title, the one that hears prayer. Isn't that great? So, some things we must not waver on. Number one, God loves us and wants what's best for us. Number two, God responds to our prayers. Number three, God can do that which appears impossible to man. Now, as I developed this message, I thought of a number of situations that people in our church are facing. And I know some of them appear impossible. In fact, I just spoke with a person not too long ago. 
And I said, listen, you need to settle something in your heart and mind. This may look impossible to you, but with God, it is not impossible. And you've got to believe that. And if we ever get ourselves in a situation, maybe we're overwhelmed, we're scared to death, it looks hopeless, it looks like there's no answer, looks like there's no solution. If we ever get in that situation and we begin to waver whether God can meet this need or not, or solve this problem or not, and we start to go back and forth in our mind whether it's even possible for this to be taken care of, brother, we are on watery ground. Watery ground. We're out in the ocean. Amen? We've got to believe, God, you can do this. Maybe you're facing a sin and you cannot lick that sin. You cannot conquer that sin. You say, it is impossible that I'll ever have victory. Listen, you've got to believe that God can give you victory. Say, there's no hope for this marriage. There's no solution to the problems this marriage has. There's no way this can be solved. You've got to believe that God can solve it. You say, my needs are so great. They're so overwhelming. There's no way I can ever meet these needs. You've got to believe that God can meet those needs. I want to show you some verses that I think will be a great blessing to you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Now, we're going to race right through the Gospels here. And I want you to see these verses. Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Look at verse 26. Matthew 19, verse 26. Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men, this is what? Impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Look at Mark chapter 10. Come over there real quickly. Mark chapter 10. Verse 27, page 1059. Jesus and Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Luke chapter 1, he's talking to Mary uh, when she uh, found out she was to give birth to the Son of God. And in verse number 37 of Luke chapter 1, For with God nothing shall be impossible. I like the word nothing there. Amen? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Look at Luke chapter 18 and verse number 27. Luke chapter 18, verse number 27. And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You know what our problem is in modern Christianity? We've got an awfully tiny God. We've got, listen, I'm tired of the charismatics claiming all the miracles. God is still a miracle working God. Now, He doesn't promise to do everything the charismatics promise that He will do, but He is able to do that which is impossible. And we've got to believe that. Or we'll never see anything supernatural in our lives. We've got to believe that God can do things through Mountain Lake Independent Baptist Church that is humanly impossible for us to do, but it is possible for Him to do. If we don't believe that, we'll never see anything supernatural. We'll never have anything real in our Christian lives if we don't believe that God can do that which looks impossible to us. Now, I'm not saying God will always do that which we want Him to do, but we've got to believe that He is able to do that which we do not think is possible to be done. And if we waver on that, say, well, I don't even think God could solve this. Brother, that's a lie of the devil. 
Amen. I don't think God could even save that guy. Brother, he'll never get saved with that attitude. God can save the hardest and the worst of souls. So, some things we must not waver. Nothing wavering. Nothing wavering. Boy, I wish we had time to talk about not just wavering in our, private li- in our prayer life, but also in our personal life. Verse 80 says, A double-minded man is unstable in what? All his ways. You know what he's doing now? First, he's talking about prayer. Don't be wavering in your prayers. Then he says, by the way, if you're double-minded, the word double-minded comes from the same word the word wavering comes from. In fact, in Romans, it talks about uh, Abraham stagger not at the promises of God. That word stagger, same word as waver. Abraham didn't go back and forth. When God said, Abraham's 100 years old, and God says, you're going to have a child, and he says, my wife's 90. And he says, uh, you're going to have a child. You know what the Bible says? Abraham didn't waver at that. Imagine Brother and Mrs. Harsh coming in. We've got a testimony announcement to make. (laughs) Elsie's expecting. Huh? He didn't even waver. He didn't stagger. He didn't go back and forth. James is saying, uh, James is saying, just like you don't, if you waver in your prayer life, you're not going to get any prayers answered. And he says, by the way, and I'm putting my own words, he says, by the way, if you're unstable in your life, you can be uns- if you if unstable, he that, sta- he that is double-minded, what's the verse say? A double-minded man is unstable. That word double-minded is what I'm talking about. Uh, is the same as wavering. A double-minded man is unstable in what? All his ways. His whole life. Jesus put it this way. He that is faithful in that which is little will be faithful in that which is much. But if you're not faithful in the little things of life, if you're double-minded in the little things of life, you can't be consistent, you can't establish that in your life, then you're going to be unfaithful in the, all areas of your life. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Hey, there's a lot of lives been ruined because people are not stable. They're not single-minded. Uh, a lot of businesses going down the tubes because a guy can't plan himself and just say, I'm going to do right, I'm going to function by this way, and we're just going to stick at it. Uh, a lot of marriages been uh, ruined because of a lack of of stability, a lack of single-mindedness, a lot of finances destroyed because people cannot be single-minded. A lot of lives have failed miserably because they're double-minded. And there are some things that we have to establish in our hearts and lives and in our minds and say, this is so, this is the truth, this is right. This is, uh, this is what integrity is. I'm going to put myself there. I'm not going to be double-minded about this. I am going to set my feet on the Word of God. I'm going to keep them there day after day, year after year, decade after decade. I'm not changing my standards. I'm not changing my convictions. I'm not changing my Bible. I'm not changing my position. I know it's right. I'm single-minded. How many people here ever went to a church when you were younger and Years later, you went back and visit completely different. Anybody know what I'm talking about? My home church is not the church that my daddy got baptized in. Double-minded. Well, we were this, but now we're this. We held to this, now we hold to this. 
held here, now held there. My prayer is that if the Lord tarries in 75 years from now, most of us be off the scene, this is still an old-fashioned, independent, fundamental King James Bible soul winning church. Single-minded. Single-minded. Because if you're unstable, a double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. How many lives are ruined? I'm talking to some folks who are doing things today, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you said, I'd never be doing that. I'm talking to some folks who are involved in things that 10, 15 years ago, you said, that's wrong. I would never do that. The Bible teaches that. And we become double-minded. And we become unstable. And then we begin to change. We need to establish convictions. To waver in my faith means failure in prayer. To be double-minded means failure in life. We used to teach a little song to the kids on the bus route. When I was down in Chattanooga, little black kids ride the bus. We taught them this. I met Jesus at the crossroads where the two ways meet. Satan, too, was standing there, and he said, Come this way. Lots and lots of pleasures I will give to you today. But I said, No! There's Jesus here. See what he offers me. Down here my sin's forgiven. Up there a home in heaven. Praise God, that's the way for me. Crossroads. Don't be double-minded. Say, either I'm all out for Christ, or I'm going to be double-minded. And a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways.